God, you are merciful and gracious to us. We cannot fathom the cost of our sin. You and your mercy, you sent your son Jesus to pay a debt that we could not afford. You have welcomed weak and sinful people. There are sins, they are many. Your mercy is more. We give thanks, honor, and praise to the one who has set us free from sin. To Jesus Christ be the glory. Amen. Open your uh, Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 5. This morning, we will pick up in verse 8. The section for our consideration is a larger, is a piece of the larger section of chapter 4 through verse 7, where the scene is heaven. This is the second vision given to John. He is seeing in the Spirit from a heavenly perspective the plan of redemptive history, beginning at the cross and ending in the consummation of Christ's plan on the last day. He sees all of this full picture, even in just chapter 5, and he keeps repeating this pattern throughout the book. But we're going to talk about that more as we unfold today's uh, passage. So first we're going to read the passage under examination this morning, then we'll ask the Holy Spirit to guide our time in dissecting it and applying um, its parts. So as you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word from Revelation chapter 5? beginning in verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Worthy, Lord, is the Lamb who was slain for us. Jesus, you are worthy to execute the judgments of the Father, and you are worthy to redeem your people. You have purchased us with your blood. You have been declared king. You have received glory and honor through your obedience unto death. Lord, remind us of the new covenant in your blood. Give us the new song of salvation. Give us grace to see the word illuminated to our minds that we might come to understand it. Lord, give us grace to be inflamed in the heart to declare to the world your great love for us. Lord, give us grace to be engaged in the will to remain faithful to all your word commands of us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So this morning, uh, we're considering verses 8 through 14, and this is a vision that is given to the Apostle John that takes place through the span of redemptive history. We see in this passage the things which were. That is, Jesus declared king, and having received the throne of God, he receives the book which contains the authority to redeem a people for God and to enact the judgments of God against the ungodly. The passage then takes us to the things that are. The things that are is that Christ Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The things that are is that he is actively gathering his people and he is actively judging the ungodly. He's unfolding as we speak the things contained in the book. Next, the passage takes us to the things that must shortly come to pass, the things that will be when it is finished, when everything comes into subjection to him, every created thing, even the dead, even the reprobate will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. So he is worthy. He is worthy. Verse eight, when he had taken the book. When he had taken the book, Revelation, you see, was given to us so that believers would be blessed by having a heavenly perspective on redemptive history, and then consequently we would obey the commands of the Lord of history, and we would worship him. The wording in Revelation refers to an immediate future. I want us to see that the Apostle John has in mind and views the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as having inaugurated the last days, the long-awaited last days. John sees the last days as having begun when Jesus died for sinners. And from that day has been the last days, and the last days are becoming Closer and closer and closer to the last day. So he's seeing these unfolded, right? And and John would see the death and resurrection of Christ as inaugurating this kingdom, uh, which the Old Testament had predicted, and he would see it as continuing to exist throughout the church age. So as we think about this passage, I want us to think about this. The one who loved us, who freed us, from our sins by his blood, when he had taken the book, he was declared worthy. Worth was given to him. He received it by him who sits on the throne, by virtue of a sinless life, an atoning sacrifice, a death-defying resurrection. God declares Jesus Christ the master of his people, the ruler of heaven and earth, the consummation of human history. To the one who is found worthy to take hold of the book, take hold of the title deed of all the kingdoms of the world, and to be the head of the church. This happened. This is the last day. These are the beginning of the last days. Is What he's seeing here in heaven is that the last days began. Christ was standing as slain. As slain. When he died... And God raised him from the dead. After three days, he took the book, still bearing the scars of being slain for our sin. He took the book and he began to unfold these last days of bringing God's people into the kingdom and simultaneously judging the ungodly. These things are going on at the same time. 
So this is what is going on. There, The last days are inaugurated. He ruled the world immediately from heaven as he has taken this book. The time of his reign is now, and yet it's not fully realized as we think about this, right? The things that were. We recall from chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, that Jesus overcame. He overcame sin. He was standing, slain, the overcoming promise of God. The, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the true Israel, slain. All of the promises of God to Israel, he was it. He, the true Israel, standing before God, slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The, he was the one who was the root of David, the forever king. He stood, risen, and ascended. The worthy one, having overcome sin and death. He received then the sevenfold spirit of God, as we saw in chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. He received the sevenfold spirit of God and he sent it out into all the earth. And so as things were, so they are. As things were, so they are. The one who loved us and freed us, freed us from our sins uh, by his blood. When he had taken the book, he was declared worthy to redeem a people by his blood. When he had taken the book, he was declared worthy to rule heaven and earth because he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. When he had taken the book, he was worthy to overcome the principalities and the rulers of this present evil age. When he had taken the book, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the world came into conflict. Do we not live in that very position today when we think about what's going on in the world? The kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the world, the kingdoms of the world are in constant conflict. That's where we live today. And we know the future. We know that the kingdom of Christ prevails. When he had taken the book, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdoms of the world came into conflict Listen to what Psalm 2 says. The nations rage and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. You see, as things were, so things are. The kingdoms of the world are at war with the kingdom of Christ. The kingdoms of the world are at war against the people of God. The world is opposed to you you who declare the superior rule of Christ. When you declare the superior rule of Christ over the politics of the day, the world says, I will not have him rule over me. They rage. They rage against him and they rage against you. They want nothing more than to divide, divide us, to, to, uh, to cast away the things that bind us together. They long for nothing more than that, to divide us, to cast those things apart that, that, that draw us together. The world desires that Christians be fractured. The kingdoms of the world desire that they themselves would be free from the rule of God. And so they war against Him. And they war against those who have been incorporated into Him through their faith in Jesus and through His atoning death. When I think about the pandemic of 2020, I already said this before, but I, I, it's worth saying it again. It revealed a lot to me 
as a pastor and as a Christian man. The primary lesson that I learned is that the American church has mistakenly lived as though we were in a time of peace and prosperity. I say it's mistakenly because there is a war that is being waged against the people of God. And most assuredly, the war is waged against their king. Instead of engaging in the battle, the church had become an entertainment center, a social club, a group therapy session. If the church is insignificant in our neighborhoods and in our nation, I pose that it is because the church has far lived too long as though she was at peace. The war has been waging on, and every day the church loses ground because she's not realized that she is at war. She's not realized that she is at war. Her faithless, her faithfulness and sensibility have been eroded away, seemingly one tiny little morsel at a time. It renders the church ineffective for the master's call. But I declare this, that the king is returning suddenly. Disciples of Jesus Christ have been enlisted into the Lord's army. But you might say, I didn't sign up for this. You didn't indeed. You did not sign up for the war. You were conscripted to war. When Christ died for you, when he was standing there as slain, you were conscripted into the Lord's army. He purchased you with his blood to engage in the battle for the kingdom. That is the purpose, right? And when we turn church and our gatherings and our purpose into a place for entertainment, a place for social club and those kind of things, right? We are rendered ineffective. You were conscripted into the Lord's army. And I want you to understand this and be confident in this, that the kingdom of God is advancing and the dominion of Christ's rule and reign increases. Every time one is converted to Christ, the kingdom of God advances. The dominion of Christ's rule and reign increases with every conversion. With every act of obedient faith, the kingdom of God advances. As it is uh, when he took the book, so it is now. When he took the book, he received authority to rule and reign from that day until what is called today. And he will rule completely in the day to come. So again, verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The one who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, when he had taken the book, the first scene we see is the inner circle around the throne of God, the four living creatures, those who day and night with six wings were ready, present to do the will of God at a moment's notice. They declare that the lamb, when he was slain, was worthy of the same worship as the one who sits on the throne. That's what they're declaring here. That the one who was slain for them is as worthy as the one who sits on the throne for worship. He's just as worthy. The one who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood when he had taken the book, the elders in, in heaven. Remember those? They are those who cast their crowns before the throne of God in heaven. And they declare that the lamb is worthy of the same worship. They declare him slain, that on his death, 
for my sin, he is declared worthy and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He stands as slain. The one who sits on the throne declares the worthiness of the lamb. The one who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, God declares Christ's worth. He says, his authority to the world. He is the one who is opposed. Those who are opposed to him. Listen to what the one on the throne says as the world opposes him. Again, looking at Psalm 2 verses uh, uh, 4 and 5 and 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You war and rage against the sun, and I'm saying, he is my king. His death proves his worth. He is my king. He is ruling and reigning. And your, uh, your opposition to him, I just laugh. I laugh at the futility of you fighting against the king. I laugh. God says, I laugh. Can you imagine that? The God laughing. Laughing at their futility. And yet, holding them in derision. The 24 elders, as they worship the Lamb, they carry the petitions of the saints who are suffering in battle. Notice this. They carry... Uh, they're holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They carry the petitions of the saints who are suffering in battle, who are engaged in spiritual warfare that is inflicted upon them by the kingdoms of the world. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, it says. When we see the prayers of the saints associated with incense, it is always closely tied to petitions for justice in the midst of persecution and spiritual warfare. The prayers here parallel the prayers in, that are coming up in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of testimony which they had maintained. And when they cried out with a loud voice, How long, Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. This, this, this bowl full of prayers are the prayers of the saints in the midst of persecution, those who are engaged in warfare. Chapter 8 is the same thing. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. The prayers mentioned here are not just praises, but they are especially uh, requests that God would defend the honor of his own reputation and his own reputation for justice by judging the persecutors of his people. The prayers call for divine vindication of martyred believers, who, which uh, both directly are linked to uh, divine judgment of the ungodly as well as, as the petitions to protect the saints. The prayers of the saints to the one who sits on the throne are given now to the one who took the book. 
The one who took the book. He is worthy to execute the judgments of God against the ungodly. He is the one worthy to intercede on behalf of God's people. He is the one who is worthy of praise. When he had taken the book, you see, he was worthy to redeem a people for God. Now let us look at the song of redemption. Verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. The one who loved us and he freed us from our sins by his blood when he had taken the book, a new covenant was declared, a covenant of grace, a new covenant in his blood, And the first thing we see is the inner circle in heaven. They sing a new song. The new song is sung to the Lamb, to the one who loved us and freed us from our sins by His blood, to He who is worthy to take the book and to break its seals. The song of the Old Covenant, the song of Moses, is the song of God's saving act. And the song is sung to Yahweh as He purchased a people for Himself. But here, in the new song, the Lamb has purchased not just an ethnic ethnic group, but the new covenant in the blood of the Lamb is sufficient to purchase a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And the new song is an expression of, of praise for God's victory over the enemy, including thanksgiving for the things that God has done and worked in creation. The Lamb is equal to the Father in worthiness to be worshipped, which is evident in chapter 15 when they sing both the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. In in chapter 15, it says, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, who, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. For all nations will come and worship before you. For you, uh, for your righteousness and your righteous acts have been revealed. The inner circle declares the one who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, by virtue of his death. They say, Christ, he is worthy of praise. The death of Christ declares him king. He is ironically crowned king through suffering and through humiliation. Isn't he? He's standing there slain. Slain, bloodied, scarred from the cross. When we think of a leader, of a king, we don't, we don't think of him bloodied, scarred. We don't think of him as a, as a wounded lamb. We think of him as a roaring lion. But it is, it is through his suffering he is ironically declared the king. Verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth as it is for the one who loved us and freed us from our sins. So shall it be for us in these these last days. As we are engaged in warfare, you and I, do you know that because he shed his blood for you, that you, you and I are a kingdom currently, a kingdom of priests unto our God. We rule and reign with Him. We rule and reign with Him. 
The church exercises kingship, you see, in the midst of her suffering. As she's engaged in warfare, just as Christ did. In the midst of suffering, we are as He. Christians are called conquerors. They're called conquerors by emulating in our own lives the ironic victory of Christ. Think about this, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you will have peace, but in the world you will have trouble. Take courage, I have overcome the world. Romans 6.3 tells us this, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Suffering in the Christian life will not end until all things are submitted to the rule and authority of the One who loved us and set us free from our sins. we got to catch this as a vision for how we live, brothers and sisters. We, we need to catch this as a vision. That suffering in the Christian life will not end until all things are submitted to the rule and authority of the one who loved us and set us free. That should inspire us and motivate us to tell the truth about Christ to the world. This suffering will not end until His kingdom comes to fruition. Till every knee bows before Him and every tongue confesses Him as Lord. This is, this is our motivation. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-28 says this, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by, by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all are made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those uh, who are Christ at His coming, then the end comes when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when He has abolished all rule and authority and power. He, for He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for He's put all things in subjection under His feet. But when He says all things are put in subjection, it is evident, evident that He is accepted who put things into subjection under Him. When all things are subjective to, subjected to Him, that is to Christ, then the Son Himself will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him so that God may be all in all. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him so that God may be all in all. When we think about the world that we live in, suffering will not end until all things are subjected to Christ. When all things are subjected to Him, then there will be an end to suffering. I'm emboldened in the Spirit to declare something to you this morning to the Church of Christ. This was impressed upon me that if the Church is not victorious in the things of God. It may be that it's this. It's the consequence of receiving in themselves too much of the world. It is too because we've neglected to crucify the worldliness that is in us. Third, it's an unrealistic boasting about ourselves, about our abilities, about even our piety and an unwillingness to boast in the suffering of Christ. And finally, and I think this is big, an unwillingness to bear the marks of suffering in our own lives. We, as people, 
It's a natural human instinct, right? To avoid anything that causes us discomfort. I think in not engaging in the war that God has called us to engage in, that it is because we want to be comfortable. We've liked our comfort. And I would say that if you are unwilling to bear the mark of Christ in your life, if you're unwilling to bear the mark that he's called you to, if you're unwilling to to go through the same pain, suffering that he has, you probably don't belong to him. You probably don't belong to him. So you guys may fire me for saying that, but I believe it to be true. If you're not willing to bear the marks of Christ in your life, you don't belong to Him. And you never did. Galatians 6, 15-17 says this, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, and I boast in nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, let those who embrace that as a rule for their life, they will have mercy and peace. The inner circle of heaven's throne, they declare the one who loved us and set us free from our sins by his blood is worthy of our worship, worthy of our suffering for his sake and for his glory. And next we see in verses 11 and 12, the the host of heaven. First we see the inner circle, then we see the host of all of heaven praising the Lamb. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The praise of the inner circle becomes the praise of the host of heaven. These are the things that are. Currently, the host of heaven is praising the Lamb slain. They're praising the Lamb. The things that were, Jesus Christ died and purchased a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. A new covenant was established in Jesus Christ's death on a cross, a forever covenant. Now the host of heaven declares that the death of Christ has crowned him worthy of power, of the riches of heaven, of the wisdom of God, of the might and honor of him who sits on the throne. It is now shared with this Christ crucified and of glory and of blessing that belongs only to God. Jesus is Lord is this declaration. The host of heaven declares him Lord. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's a ruler of heaven. This is what is declared. Declared by the inner circle and the host of heaven. It is already. It is already. And not yet. It is already in heaven. And it is already through us. But not yet. Not fully consummated. But his rule and his authority and his kingdom are ever expanding. As I said before, it's ever-expanding. Every time one is converted, every act of obedience of faith in Christ expands the kingdom of God here on earth. 
Every time you obey Him with the fullness of your heart. Every time you proclaim the gospel to a person, the kingdom of God is making a step forward to the full realization of everything being subjected to Him. Verse 13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And as we see this, this is what is to come. This is the not yet. This is the things that will soon come to pass. There's a warning when we look at this. Right? Every, do, do, do we live in a place where everyone bows down to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Our answer is definitely not. And what John sees from a heavenly perspective is one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Him as Lord. Everything in creation, as Jesus said, if these don't praise me, even the rocks will cry out. One day, even the rocks will cry out in submission to His Christ. This is coming, but there's a warning. There's a warning. And I see that warning as a parallel in Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, verse 10, he says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those, all those who take refuge in Him. See, the warning is here. Be warned, rulers and authorities on the earth, there is one King. Be warned. The last days of earth have begun. The Lamb who was slain has received authority to bring the judgments of your Creator to bear upon you. Be warned, they have come. And they are, and they will come quickly. Be warned, you who enjoy the benefits of Christ, you who refuse to bear the marks of His suffering, He is coming soon. And you will cry, Lord, Lord, and He will say, depart from me, I never knew you. If you are unwilling to bear the marks of Christ in your life, but you've, you've received the trappings of Christianity, of churchianity. And you enjoy those trappings. And you think that you're something that you're not. And you cry out to Him when He comes and He declares His kingdom finally. And you say, Lord, Lord. He'll say, get away from me. I did not know you. You, are un you who are unwill unwilling to bear the marks of Christ. Unwilling to suffer as He did. He said, you weren't part of me. You never had any part of me. There's a warning as we look at this text. The song of the Lamb was sung in heaven by the inner circle when Christ was slain for those that He freed from their sins. The host of heaven gives honor and glory and blessing to Him who freed us from our sins by His blood. And one day all of creation will sing of the glory of the Lamb who was slain. Then, notice verse 14, the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The four living creatures declare the Lamb worshipped is the Amen of God. Over and over again they say, Amen. It is the so be it. However it is, it is He is the so be it. 
And I think about this, to those that He has set free from sin by His blood, Jesus has become our amen. He has become the so be it. If it is suffering in this life that the people who have been freed from sin have been appointed to, those who are in Christ, they sing a new song. If they sing this new song, we say, so be it. If it is appointed for Christ to suffer, then we who have been freed from His blood, from the penalty our sin deserved, we say, so be it. We say, so be it. Not in resignation. Not in resignation. I don't want you guys to be resigned to suffering. But I want you to know this. To say the same thing Paul said. Praise be to God that He counted me worthy to suffer as my Christ did. As the one who set me free from my sin. Not in resignation. In rejoicing. Think about the things that suffering brings to us. Listen to what James tells us, right? We should rejoice in trial. Rejoice in trouble. Because it works things in us. That God wants to work in us. We become like Him through our suffering. And yet, we often want to avoid that, don't we? We want to tell people that, that, that when we think about these last days, we don't think about the suffering that's coming at us. Let's avoid that. We're going to be out of here. We're going to leave. It isn't what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures say that we will bear the marks of Him who suffered for us. We will bear His marks. But it also gives us the good news that one day every tongue, every knee will bow before Him. That He is victorious and that He is having victory today. And that we can be part of that victory as we obey Him. As we do what the Lord has commanded of us, we participate in His rule and His reign currently. And it's not quite full what it will be. We know that the way of the kingdom and it has been purchased for us. That we rule and reign in the kingdom that is not of this world and we press on in the confidence that was won for us in Christ's death. And we know this confidently. Soon and very soon, the kingdom will be realized. That is our joy.